Greetings, Maltopians. Are you looking to delve deeper into the world of Maltopia? Then check out our Patreon, where you can find written mythos pieces, world maps, found footage, art, Patreon-exclusive shows, and more. Just go to patreon.com forward slash Maltopia and join one of our tiers for access to great new content. Brave the forbidden and embrace the darkness. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Today, we'd like to introduce you to a great fantasy audio drama called Circe. The show is similar to Lord of the Rings, except that it focuses on an awesome gay sorceress on the planet of Elbion. Thyra is recording stories of her past to help regain her magical abilities, we learn of her life and how she came to be a member of the Circe. If you're a fan of gay stories and characters, Lord of the Rings and Xena the Warrior Princess, you'll love this show. Check out Circe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. So, what does someone like you want with someone like me? Why, you are the Grand Manipulator, right? If there's anyone who knows how to sever the ties that bind, it would be you, would it not? <laughs> I suppose you're right. And who's got you bound up, my tragic friend? 
Is that old thing still holding you and the others to that silly covenant from all those eons ago? The Night Father does enjoy his petty victories, doesn't he? Enough of your crawling. Can you help me or not? If not, perhaps I should gut all your fucking little playthings, leave you without your precious toys. So angry. <laughs> you should really take a cue from my playthings, as you call them. Always a smile on their face, not a frown between them. But yes, I can help. For a price. Wesley jolted awake, beads of cold sweat streaming down his face. He buried it in his hands, as if they might provide some kind of safety, serve as a fleshy bastion from the horrors inside and outside his mind. He recognized the one voice in the dream, unmistakably the one in his head, but the other was foreign. Yet, there was a tinge of familiarity to it, like a memory only half-remembered. Still, it was just a dream, and he had bigger problems to worry about. Though the land lay perpetually carpeted in a layer of gloom, he surmised it was early morning, if his internal clock was any indicator. The skeletal remains of the once roaring fire still glowed, its cinders stubbornly resisting the cool air. Cyrus and Vorin were asleep in their bedrolls, the slight effulgence of the dying fire barely illuminating their resting forms. Cyrus was snoring. Even asleep, the man managed to find a way to annoy him. Vorin seemed a good enough man, though Wesley had yet to understand all of this ink dragon business. How was any of this possible? Granted, he had come to terms with the darkness, but the events of 1999 were only known through the remnants, like dinosaur fossils dug up in the badlands of Argentina. It was indirect, only inferences to make up for the lack of living examples. But these last few days were akin to coming face to face with the prehistoric beasts themselves, and he could hardly believe his eyes. Expecting to see Riva similarly asleep, Wesley instead found him leaning against a tree. At first glance, he wasn't an imposing figure. A long, now tattered robe, somewhere between midnight blue and black, covered his thin, short frame. His wavy, auburn hair was tied in a messy knot toward the back of his head, loose strands of it hanging lazily over his temples. What could be seen of his face was well-chiseled, almost gaunt, cheekbones high and prominent. His eyes were kind, small cobalt moons suspended in a round, starless night. But it was the lower half of his face that caused Wesley discomfort, remembering that vile mouth and the words that came tumbling out of it. Even now, with the wicked thing covered by a mask, he could almost feel its animus, its utter and complete repulsiveness, as if it were some kind of portal to hell, spilling out the language of fallen angels. Wesley felt bad about his disgust for the man's affliction, if that's what it was. After all, Riva had saved his life, all while putting his own in jeopardy. If it weren't for that demonic mouth of his, Wesley imagined they might all be dead. He cleared his throat, drawing Riva's attention from the woods. <coughs> um, 
I... I never got a chance to properly thank you. For saving my life, I mean. Yeah, You know, I, I wouldn't be alive if it weren't for you, so... Thank you, Riva. Riva nodded politely. As if purposely spoiling the moment, Cyrus's voice slithered out from his sleeping bag, his eyes still closed but a grin reaching ear to ear. I believe it was my light that guided you, dear Wesley. Is there not enough gratitude to go around? The voice in Wesley's head spoke before he could. Fucking smug muffets! When the opportunity arises, Wesley, you drive your fucking thumbs through that little prick's eyes until you hear his brain smash. He doesn't need his eyes to see the fucking future. Wesley ignored the raging voice. Seems to me we wouldn't be in this goddamn mess if you had just informed the brass of what you knew. Are we back at this again, Dr. Morrigan? I thought we'd move past this. Well, you thought... Gentlemen, gentlemen, what's done is done. No use rehashing it now. We have bigger problems. Vorn stood from his bedroll, stretching to exercise the lingering sleep from his body. Grabbing the closest knapsack, he pulled out some MREs and passed them around. Riva took his and wandered off into the woods. Is... Riva okay? Um, yeah. His abilities come with certain burdens. Cyrus snickered. Burdens? <laughs> the man's mouth is damned. You see, my dear Wesley, a male-sayer is a cursed creature, his mouth forever blighted by... Why, there are so many stories, it's hard to know which ones are true. But you can be assured that eating is no painless affair for our foul-mouthed friend. Vorn threw a nasty glare at Moffat, looking as if he wanted to strike the man. Part of Wesley wanted him to, and he knew an even deeper part of him, the voice, wanted him to do much more. River's circumstances are his own, Moffat, and if he wishes them divulged, it will be by him and him alone. Is that understood, soothsayer? Cyrus simply shrugged his shoulders and went about eating his food, a smirk still spread across his face as he chewed. Wesley thought about what Cyrus said, that Riva was cursed. What did that even mean? It was just an other unbelievable thing he had to accept, had to integrate into his now crumbling worldview. He wanted to ask more, but it was clear Vorin didn't want the topic discussed, at least not without Riva's consent. If it was true, and at this point he had no reason to doubt it, as reason seemingly had no place in the world anymore, he felt even worse for the mysterious man. What was it like to be unable to speak because your every word was so volatile? It destroyed everything it touched. That your mouth was so contaminated with eldritch energies that it made the simple act of eating agonizing. He shuddered at the thought. The group ate their bland meals in relative silence, the noises of an alien forest keeping them company. Once River returned from the woods, everyone began to pack up their things, hoisting what little resources and ownings they had upon their backs. Vorn then looked to Moffat. Well, you're the one who said you knew where to go. Lead the way. Mm, the outpost is to the west. As I said before, we'd best be served by going there. And how do we know which way is west? Compasses don't work here, and we haven't access to the satellite GPS. Not that it's proven any more reliable. 
It should be easy enough. We just use the sun's orientation and uh, go from there. The group was silent, except for the chuckle that slipped from Moffat's lips. <laughs> Wesley was at a loss. Finally, Vorn spoke up. Uh, you may not have noticed, given the chaos of the last day or so, but I'm afraid our usual celestial friend can no longer be depended upon for direction. Well, uh, what do you, what do you mean? It. Wesley looked above him, into the gray mass of clouds roiling overhead. The sun could barely be seen through the dreary veil, but it was surely there, trying to push its gaze through the wandering thunderheads. But then he noticed something to the far right of it, an other glowing sphere, slightly smaller and shimmering with a dim emerald hue. His stomach dropped. He searched the rest of the sky and found another sun, this one larger than the last, but still smaller than the original, its blue light dimmed by the same blanket of clouds. That's... That's in, that's impossible. How, how, could, how, how could that... There is apparently a lot more to this place than we initially anticipated, Dr. Morrigan. Best you get used to the oddities. I'm sure there's a lot more to come. Now, Professor Moffat, how do you propose we find our way west? Why, you needn't worry that pretty little head of yours, Mr. Gall. I've a keen sense of direction. Without further explanation, Cyrus turned and made his way into the thickets. Vorn let out a frustrated sigh and looked at Riva, who shrugged his shoulders, apparently just as confused as his partner. The two men followed after, trudging into the wooded wilds. Wesley was still stunned by the previous revelation. How could there be three suns in the sky? Gremlin may have been a foreign continent, but it was still on Earth and presumably beholden to the same cosmological constants. Lost in his bewilderment, the voice suddenly emerged from the mental ether. Stop bumbling around like a fucking idiot and follow them. But it's impossible. There's, there's no way. Impossible is a word you should have abandoned by now. You're traveling with a man who can see the future, another that can only speak curses, and another who can read and manipulate any text he puts his hands on. At what fucking point does one stop being surprised that things aren't the way they thought they were? Hmm? Now stop gawking like a fucking moron and go! Wesley nodded his head obediently and started towards the brush. The voice bubbled up again, this time chuckling. <laughs> There's so much more for that little mind of yours to endure, my dear Wesley. So much more. The woods were thick, alien foliage adorning the ground and wicked trees reaching twisted fingers so high, Wesley couldn't see their tops. Just a layer of misty atmosphere toiling about like haunting wraiths. The bark on many of the giant things was a bland charcoal, with bodies festooned with knots and giant hollows. Some had a spiral formation, reminding him of a coiling staircase ascending into outer space. Others branched out like giant octopoid monsters, their wooden tentacles wrapping around each other, forming weird patterns of entanglement. Still others were absolutely behemoth, dwarfing even California's redwoods. The subtle wind made them creak and moan, almost forming words to Wesley's ear. Sometimes he thought he saw movement among their many limbs, 
But when you looked, there was nothing. Just empty space and tendrils of fog. Strange flora decorated the forest floor. Black ivy-like plants that twirled and danced along the ground. Their sinewy bodies looked to be toothy maws of some kind. Not unlike that of a Venus flytrap. Save for a sebaceous fluid dripping from their jaws. He avoided stepping on the things. Foreign sounds echoed in the distance. The music of alien insects and God knew what else. Sometimes he thought he heard something close, something slowly mirroring their every step, the crunch of its feet the subtlest whisper. But his anxiety was high, and he was prone to hearing things that weren't there, so he tried to shake it off the best he could. The group kept on throughout the day, breaking for lunch before continuing on into late afternoon. Vorn slipped to the back of the group, eventually walking side by side with Wesley. How are you holding up? Well, as good as one can expect when trying to get used to the oddities. I am sorry about that. I didn't mean to be so curt. Look, I realize this must have turned your world upside down. <sighs> Fucking hell has got me shaken. It's okay, I, I get it. If you don't mind me asking, what brought you out here in the first place? Uh, a misguided attempt at... Justice, I suppose. I thought that if I... Yeah, never mind. It, it was a stupid decision, is all. I just wanted to be anywhere other than where I was. And where was that? Vermont. Just, uh, just outside the remains of a town called Brattleboro. Family? Uh, I, I had a wife and daughter. They're gone now. I'm sorry to hear that. Really. What about... Extended family. Any brothers or sisters? Nah, just uh, my foster parents. They're still living on the ranch in Montana, last I checked. Never gave enough of a shit to find my biological parents. So figured that's the way they wanted it. Sounds rough. Not really. My, uh, my foster parents are good people. I know everyone always hears horror stories about foster care, but uh, it worked out in my case. One of the lucky ones, I guess. How about you? Anyone waiting for you back home? Huh. Bachelor, I'm afraid. My work takes up most of my time, and that's fine by me. Relationships seem to be finicky things, so it's all for the best, I suppose. As for family, my parents weren't much like parents, if I'm being honest. They were more like mentors, teaching my sister and I how to use our family traits and perpetuate our good name in the halls of academia, which is exactly what we did. So, good on them, I guess. Sounds like a healthy upbringing. <laughs> Indeed. Those family traits you mentioned, um, how is it... Well, I mean, what exactly do you do? Well, uh, it's all a bit complicated, but essentially I... Gorn stopped mid-sentence as River raised a fist in warning. Wesley could see why. The woods opened up into a massive glade. Its ashen-colored grass was overgrown and peppered with tiny vermilion blossoms, giving the impression that it had been sprayed with blood. Mists crawled across the landscape, winding in between the brush like vaporous snakes. The place was draped in shadow, an artificial night born from the giant branches twisting into one another high above forming a kind of tangled dome. 
As such, the land was dappled with lone streaks of light as if it were underground, the sun squirming in where they could. Most conspicuous, however, were the three cabins living in the middle of it all. They seemed to be made from the surrounding forestry, their bodies the dusky color of the trees. Their architecture was a bit eccentric. Some of the front porches started at the bottom floor and ascended the rest of the house, coiling about it like a constricting python. Instead of dormers, the strange buildings had small minarets jutting from their tops, things made of plundered wood and stone. It was clear, even from where they were standing, that the structures were in a state of disrepair. Some of the windows had been broken, leaving behind toothy maws of glass. Despite the dark color of the logs, Wes could still see strange overgrowth clinging to them, pale creeper-like vines spiderwebbing across the walls. Some of them sagged like old men crumbling under the pressure of time and disuse. A kind of dark purple moss invaded them, making it look as if they had been infected by an alien pox of some kind. Besides the demonic storyteller, these were the first signs of civilization on the continent. It should have been a momentous occasion, but it only filled Wesley with dread. Cyrus, how much farther do we have to go until we reach the other site? Oh, I'd say about another day and a half, and we'll be there. That is, if my directions can be depended upon. River began to sign to Vorin. Yes, yes, I know. It's getting dark. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, we're not... We're not thinking of staying in those cabins, are we? I mean, there's no telling what's waiting for us in there. There's no telling what's waiting for us out here, Dr. Morgan. Moffat's right, as loath as I am to say it. We have a better chance taking shelter in there than staying exposed out here. Wes nodded, conceding the point. He waited for the voice to chime in, to tell him what a whelp he was for giving in so easily. While there was no such outburst, he could almost feel a smile widening somewhere in the black box of his mind. It was almost worse that way, as if it didn't have the words to waste on his weaknesses. Fuck you, Wesley thought to the silent grinning voice. River led the group into the clearing, his eyes razors, those sapphire orbs of his darting back and forth. Professor Moffat lit his lantern, its light somehow tearing through the fog as if it weren't there, carving a yellow-red swath through the encroaching night. Wes could swear he saw forms in the shadows cast by the mysterious lamp, figures of molten darkness coming in and out of existence. The sounds of unnameable insects began to sound off in the near distance providing a harrowing score to the group's walk through the glade. High above, he could hear something like the scuttle of large, chitinous limbs tapping against the wood of the trees, causing him to imagine insectoid horrors of a noble vastness. Wesley quickened his pace, moving up towards the head of the group with Riva. You hear that, Wesley? That's the darkness answering your call. You wanted to confront it, didn't you? You wanted to make it pay for taking your precious wife and daughter. Well, now's your chance. Go out there and show it with Wesley Morgan. Sorry, Dr. Wesley Morgan is made of. (laughs) If you keep it up, maybe I'll do just that. Whatever you are, you have a desire to live. Or whatever the fuck you call what you're doing. Whatever I am... Could it be that you've moved beyond the idea that I'm just a result of psychosis? A mind fuck you just couldn't shake? Oh, little Wesley, if only you knew what I was. You wouldn't be frightened of what's out there. 
You'd be frightened of what's already inside you. Wesley tried to shake off the voice's words, but there was something about them that resonated deep in the vaults of his unconscious. It was a ghost of a shape screaming for coherence, but he couldn't quite make it out, only sense its outline. As soon as he detected its shape, it was gone, submerged beneath the drift of consciousness, just a shadow at the bottom of the ocean. It was just as well, given his current circumstances. As the group approached the dilapidated structures, Riva gave the signal to stop, moving ahead into the nearest cabin by himself. The door opened easily enough, complaining loudly as he stalked his way inside. A few moments later, he peeked his head out, waving the rest to follow. Despite being on an alien continent, the inside didn't differ that much from any other log cabin. The ceiling was vaulted, with silver webs bridging the gap between its rotting beams, and a stone fireplace sat cold and dormant in the wall ahead of him. Several chairs sat strewn about the room, things that looked hewn from bone or the antlers of some kind of elk or deer. Something resembling a couch sat awkwardly against the wall, its frame broken, stuffing poking out of the many holes in its leather-like skin. Paintings hung on the wall, some just abstract mashings of color, while others seemed to be of strange landscapes. One in particular showed a towering black monolith stretching into the sky, its shadow smothering a nearby pastoral town, seeping into its streets and houses and chapels. Most peculiar, however, was the effect of it. People, animals, and buildings seemed to tumble into it, as if the massive silhouette were a chasm rather than a lightless space. Wesley didn't want to think about what may have influenced the painting, if it was historical or simply the rendering of an artist's fever dream. Looking into a room adjacent to the one they had entered, Wesley saw another oddity, one that made his stomach feel hollow and full of fluttering things. Against the small room's left wall stood a large stone altar. It was a basic design, but for some indistinct scrawling etched into its front. Taking a closer look, he could see dark streaks adorning its surprisingly polished top. Dried blood. Wesley began to shake. Above the thing, looming like some voyeuristic god, sat a large ornate statue on a high shelf. It, like the altar, was also carved from stone except by a much more talented hand. It depicted a sinister-looking man wearing gothic robes of some sort, a twisting dagger in his hand. He wondered if it had any relation to the altar, if it was some sacred figure or just some morbid decoration left to collect dust. Unsure why, he was about to pluck it from its place when Moffat called out from the next room. Gentlemen, I believe we may have a problem. Wesley rushed back to find Cyrus standing there with his lantern in front of the fireplace. Vorin arrived at the same time from another room. What is it? Cyrus lifted the lamp towards the hearth, revealing an assault rifle stranded in the mouth of the fireplace. Fucking hell, where did that come from? Cyrus bent down and fished out the rifle. It was almost humorous to see Moffat holding the thing, as if some Victorian schmuck out of time had stumbled across an artifact of modernity 
so fascinating as to appear magical. Springfield, apparently. Some of the soldiers from the other site must have come here for some reason. But why? And where the hell are they now? Cyrus put up a finger and used his other hand to push the lantern deeper into the fireplace. See for yourselves. Moffat stepped aside and let Wesley and Voren look up into the fireplace. There, marking the stone of the flue, were scratch marks, etched in blood and strands of torn flesh. They streaked as far up as the light allowed, as if someone had been forcibly pulled up the chimney, desperately trying to claw their way back down. The voice in Wesley's head chimed in. Oh, the horrors you will see, little Wesley. The horrors you will see. Grimland is a Maltopia production. Today's episode was written by Stephen Anslone. The episode was edited by Walker Kornfeld. Sound production and editing was performed by Stephen Anslone. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching Maltopia. That's M-A-E-L-T-O-P-I-A. And if you'd like to know more about Grimland and contribute to its nightmarish expansion, visit us at www.patreon.com forward slash Maltopia, where you can gain access to all sorts of art, mythologies, stories, and more. For more information about Grimland and the world of Maltopia, visit us at Maltopia.com. 